0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of
1: film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we're going to be interviewing Sydney Wilinski. Now, Sydney just finished editing The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. And so we end up talking about his cutting process and how he approached the editing of The Shape of Water. Now, if you're a Yermo de Toro fan, you're going to really enjoy this film. So definitely check it out. And Sydney and I get into the idea that Yermo likes to be there in the cutting room the whole time. We're going to discuss all that and more today on this episode of The Cutting Room. Could you tell me how you got started? How did you get into film editing and sort of went, found your your way to Guillermo del Toro's cutting room?
0: Well, how I got in is a long, long way from when I got to Guillermo, but uh, I went to, you know, I got a a bachelor's degree in English and American literature. I was a kind of a film nut at the time going and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided I maybe I would go to school and learn about filmmaking because I knew nothing about filmmaking. So I went to, I guess I ended up going to San Francisco State and getting a master's degree in film. And after that, I started getting jobs as an assistant editor. After that, you know, got editing jobs. And many years later, I was asked to to be interviewed to cut uh, the pilot for The Strain, which is a series that Guillermo created. And it's produced, I think it just, they just finished their last season. And Guillermo Guillermo was directing the pilot. So that's how I got to know Guillermo. And then when they were prepping for this show, for The Shape of Water, I got a call or my agent got a call, like, would Sydney be available and interested? And I said, yes. So that's sort of the very short version of it.
1: I noticed when I did a bit of research on your background that you've done a lot of work in television yes and i'm wondering what you've taken away from your experience working for hbo or effects or any of these you know big shows like sopranos that you ended up applying to your editing process uh for the shape of water
0: you know everything i've worked on you know it's when you're learning a craft you you're always learning and i can say that you know from beginning to end i've got i think i've got better more confidence um regardless of what I worked on, you're always you're essentially doing the same thing. I mean you're you're cutting scenes, you're working with producers, you're working with directors, you're trying to make stuff work. Um, as far as working on the sopranos, I thought that material was really, really good. There was not a huge deadline, so we had a lot of time to work on on those shows and I think that was really good in terms of exploring things that you know on a shorter schedule you can't. But specifically, I mean, you learn a lot from, for example, from directors and producers who push you further than you you know beyond what you thought of, and just years and years of you know sitting with a director or producer saying, "Try this, try that." Uh, what about this? What about that? It's hard to say specifically. it's just little by little, you learn stuff. you know you you learn to look for things you might not have looked for before. For options, for ways of approaching things, you just learn about acting, about uh, storytelling. So it's a it's a sort of a lifelong or you know, career long process of of uh, you know working with people and soaking up as much as you can.
1: Now I I read somewhere that Yermo uh, likes to see cuts as often as possible, you know even daily in some cases of scenes and, and moments. So how did you tackle that as an editor?
0: He came in every day.
1: Yeah. So how does that, because that's whenever I've cut something, I find it very difficult to have the director there all the time. But how did you work with him to make sure that you had your space to work and got exactly what he wanted?
0: You know, when he interviewed me for The Strain, he said he liked to come in every day. And I said, "Yes, even though I'd never worked like that, and I had some trepidation, and he did come in not as much as on this show and At first, I was very, very nervous, and I worked really hard to make stuff look as good as possible, and I hoped he would come in as late as possible in the day and Then, at a certain point, I realized that you know that he was he understood the process, and I didn't have to kind of impress him every day with what I did. So some after that, I felt comfortable that, you know, he could come in. I'd be halfway through my first pass on the scene. I'd say, this is what Guillermo, this is what I have. And he'd say, well, you know, I wanted this shot to do this and that, but never in a judgmental way, never like, well, why didn't you do that? It was always very understanding. And I'd say, Guillermo, come back tomorrow. It'll look a lot better. Uh, and I guess I got over that. And on this show, I would just, it's It's his show, and I felt he was confident that I could do I could make stuff work and if he came in and sometimes we'd we'd start cutting a scene together, or we'd cut the whole scene together, and then when he left, I'd work more on it and then show it to him later in the day or the next day. so i just i basically, after many years of not wanting to show directors anything until i'd cut I felt like this is a process, you know and and that's fine and I did not, I felt totally comfortable. So I felt like we really collaborated on
1: stuff. What I've noticed with all his films, he's, he's very very much has a defined vision that he wants for each film. So how did you work with him to ensure that you were able to meet his vision and work with him to get what he wanted uh, for scenes and for moments especially with this film because it's so defined by the, the 50s era.
0: His vision is embedded in the material that he shoots, really. I mean, so, and by by virtue of our working together on a daily basis, you know, when we finished the show, we finished, when he finished shooting, we virtually had his cut of the movie, or at least his first assembly of the movie. So he, I mean, as far as keeping to his vision, he, I had him there all the time to make sure that I was on the right track, or that we were on the right towards what he wanted you know so there was no guesswork it wasn't like you know the shows where you cut the whole show and then you show up the director and they you know have a nervous breakdown and <laughs> get really depressed and then and decide to start work you know and then you start at the beginning and you know so he knew what he had on a daily basis on an ongoing basis
1: one of the things that i thought was really interesting was that the two leads the two love interests in this film were essentially silent characters yes so how did that affect you in the editing process because I think about Sally having anytime she does anything you have to have someone else reiterate what she's just said
0: well I didn't have to clean up their dialogue tracks for <laughs> yeah <laughs> um But honestly, I mean, people ask me this, and to me, it's like, it doesn't matter whether they're speaking or using their hands. I mean, you're you're kind of doing the same thing. If it's a dialogue scene, you have to decide who you're on at what point. I mean, obviously, sometimes it was all with subtitles. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, like, the big scene where she tries to persuade Giles, you know, the Richard Jenkins character, to help her. Yeah. You know, it's he repeats the line, so that was sort of an interesting thing, but you still want to be on her for her emotional moments where she's doing the sign language and hear him off camera. You know, and the scenes, when they're together, when you're an editor, it's not just dialogue you're cutting. It's looks and gestures and and body language, and that's true whether or not people are talking. You're trying to tell the story with what you have.
1: In terms of the, I guess, like the pacing and the timing of of scenes, did it it affect you in any way? Because, like you were saying, people would repeat what she was saying, or they would sort of add a bit of a bump in in the timing. Like, I think about Octavia Spencer having to, you know, re-say what she's saying when she's telling the main guy off or to fuck off. And so I'm, I'm wondering how did that affect your pacing? Cause all of a sudden you're lengthening a moment or lengthening.
0: Well, if you look at the scenes, I would bet that nothing you, you will not feel anything that's being lengthened. I mean, for example, the scene with, that I mentioned with Richard Jenkins pretty much is off camera dialogue is, is almost simultaneous with her hand gestures so it, that that scene never slows down. That's like a really, you know, the, that scene keeps going. And in the other one, the one with, I guess it's in Strickland's office where he's interrogating them, you know, if the scene is opened up. I mean, it's, you know, it's part of how the scene is being played that Zelda repeats the line. So I, I don't feel that it's, you know, you're getting Zelda's sense of concern and everything at the same time as she's saying the line, you know, so it, and then when she says, fuck you, she does it entirely in sign language.
1: From what I've seen with Guillermo's work, there's sort of a balance between the VFX that's uh, practical and the visual effects that are in computer-based. What was the I guess the split in this film of practical versus computer and how did that affect you as an editor?
0: Well, there's an enormous amount of VFX. Didn't really affect me. I mean, You know, the VFX are things like creating water or, you know, I mean, changing the Gardner Expressway into, uh, uh, you know, into Baltimore or uh, that kind of stuff. So there's no there are no scenes where I just had like green screen and nothing else going on there. And, you know, and the creature was entirely in a, you know, he was uh, it was complete full suit. It wasn't a motion capture thing or anything. So it really never affected me. I mean, maybe there are a few things, but not really. Um, It was pretty much all there, and then stuff was enhanced or added or taken away. Obviously, we have to get rid of the CN Tower. (laughs) Of course.
1: (laughs) Now, I guess I I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I I interview, and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? God. Uh, Guilty
0: pleasure film to watch... Uh, I'm coming up with a blank on that one.
1: Well, I guess I guess because you're working with Yermo, what's your favorite monster movie to watch?
0: I should have an answer for that one, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, I haven't seen a monster movie in a long time. Um, what's my favorite monster movie to watch? I, I hate to say it, I'm I'm kind of I'm drawing a blank.
1: We could we could always go with Pacific Rim for Yermo. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for for letting me interview.
0: It was really
1: nice talking to you. So that was my interview with Sydney. I'd like to thank Sydney Walensky for allowing me to interview him. If you're wanting to get in touch with us, you can always get us via email at info at AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.